Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. Amen. So um, we are moving through the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And uh, we're just it's just such a great step-by-step, week-by-week teaching that's kind of reminding us of where we should be uh, with God. On, on, the, on the first first teaching, when we talked about hear, O Israel, we talked about what it, the meaning behind of hearing, that it's not just letting the words get into your ear and just come out of the other one, but actually not only changing your life, but also um, it should be seen, that you actually there's actions that are behind it. Uh, last week we talked about God is, uh, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one. So we, we focused on his love. And that's going to really push us to, to, today's, to today's teaching uh, when we talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And today we're going to focus on loving your God with all your heart. And we're going to start off again. We're going to rem- remind that the reason this, this command, well, it's... We even talked about it. Love is something, for it to be true love, it cannot be commanded. True love has to come from free will. And I think that's why God gave us free will. So that way it would be something given to him and not something that we're just brainwashed puppets of his. Excuse me. That, that are just moving around and doing his, doing his things without any options. True love comes when there's an option not to love. That's why a lot of people, why is there sin in the world? Because it's, it's that thing that if we didn't know what sin is, the good would be evil. Evil. It's, it's one of, the it, good would not be evil. The good would if be. If there wasn't evil in the world, then we wouldn't know what good is. What good is. That's, Thank mm, you. Yeah. That's why we have the law and all that other things. So, that, so that's an important thing. So, so we're looking at, at this thing and we're going to look, just a reminder, we said it last, last week in First John chapter 1, verse 19. It reminds us really quickly. Uh, it says, let me just read it straight from the scripture. First John 4, 19. Oh, thank you. Are you reading it? I can. We love because he first loved us. It's it's simple. It's to the point, but we need to remember that. And the it's the there's another scripture in John. It says, "I'm sorry, I don't have it. I thought I wrote it down." It says, "If you love me, you will obey me." John fourteen fifteen. I got you. Oh, thank you. Is that exactly what it says? Do you want to if read? you love me, you will obey what I command. Oh, awesome! Amen. Look at that. Like I know these things. <laughs> so. So we there's, cover one another. We cover one another. So there's this connection to love and obedience. But what we need to realize is really important that we're not, because that he loved us first, we do not obey him so he can show us more love. He already loves us. He already has done everything for us. The same way with Israelites, he already freed them from the Egypt. And then he gave the commandments. Same thing with Abraham. He gave Abraham the promises so long ago that he would be a great nation before any other things came about, before all the laws, before any other things that he needed to do, he promised them. God always starts this first. 
So when we're obeying him, it's not that he would love us. We're obeying him by showing how much our love for him. That is, becomes the fruit of the love that we have for him. Just saying that I love you or that I love God is different. Is when I actually put that to action, that's when we see the love just comes out of us and, and experience, they experience that, right? First John three eighteen, you got me? Says, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And as we see in this, we, we know, and we're not going to spend too much time, first of all, because we talked about what love looks like and how mm-hmm. God loved us in the last sermon last week. But the second thing is, I believe that everyone at this table, it's kind of one of those fundamental things of, of the faith, that we know that love is more than just an emotion. When we love God, it's not just that we feel warm fuzzies about God. When we love God, it's not an emotional response. Sometimes we have emotions in response to his love, mm-hmm. like when we worship and we're crying or <laughs> when you first come to know the Lord and you're overwhelmed with emotion. Uh, those, those things are natural, but our faith and our walk with God and our love for God cannot be based on our emotional um, state. So we have to come to God with all of our emotions. We, he can handle your anger. He can handle your disappointment. He can handle your fear. He can handle everything. And so love is not just what we feel, but love, as it says, as we just read, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions and in truth. So the main way that we, we love God is through our activity. We love is a commitment. Love is something that we do. It's not something that we feel. So we're going to get into today. Today we're talking about the part of the Shema. Uh, there's three, three sections of, that we have left, and it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Today we're going to look at loving the Lord with all of your heart. So having that foundation from last week, as well as our basic understanding of the fact that love is not an emotional response, but it's something that it's a commitment that we make. It's something that we do, um, that we love God through our actions and through obedience. We want to talk about what does it mean to love God with all of our heart? So we're really going to look at the heart today. And we have three primary ways that we uh, actively show God love, the, the things that we're supposed to do with our heart so that God ends up having our whole heart. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and we've talked about the heart for uh, before uh, when we talked into the Ten Commandments. And the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes. We really talked about the heart. The, and we'll start off with this verse, and I kind of get, we'll get into it. It's uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And there's a couple of other verses just like it in Psalms. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So what we're doing, what we need to understand when we're talking about loving God with all his heart, with, a, with all our heart, is that our heart, if it comes to our personal heart, we would always going to choose us and we're always going to choose the selfishness, desire and the evil desires that we have. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that before. So when we start talking about loving God with all our heart, what these next three points that we're going to share with you guys it's trying to understand that we really truly need to surrender our heart to god because if we don't surrender our heart to god uh, to god then we're going to keep on doing things not of god and with that again understanding that our hearts in our natural state you know if we were to say our sinful nature the primary place that our sinful nature resides is because of the corruption of our heart so we, we actually, in our natural state, do not have the ability to love God. Mm-hmm. So him asking us to love him with all of our heart is something that we aren't able to do. We are able to, because of his love, he begins to change our heart. So the, 
the first thing that we need to understand is that apart from God's strength, apart from his love, we have no capacity to love. Mm. Our hearts, we have to understand the fallenness of our heart. We can't just say, oh, I turned to God and I gave him my heart. Um, and that's that's another point, too, just to be taken, is that a lot of times, especially in, uh, now in the church, we talk about, like, did you give Jesus your heart? Mm. Um, did you invite Jesus into your heart? Did you accept him with your heart? Well, first of all, that language is not in Scripture. You don't accept Jesus into your heart. Uh, and we're going to get into that at the towards the end of the sermon. But we we don't have the ability to give God our heart, nor are we commanded to give God our heart. We're mm-hmm. called to this first point, which is we're called to repent. Mm-hmm. So looking backward, when we come to the Lord and we have a state, um, and the first way the 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 symbolism that we see in Scripture, what you're supposed to actually do to your heart is your it's called the circumcision of the heart. And we're not going to get into detail. Hopefully you all know what circumcision is. But scripture has this theme of not only circumcision as a, as a sign of the covenant for the Israelite people, but he time and time again talks about how that sort of physical circumcision doesn't mean anything, mm-hmm. but you're supposed to have circumcision of the heart. And the first thing that that means is that one, it's a sign of the covenant. And two, it means to repent. It means to look at your sin and repent of what you have done up until that point. So we're going to talk about Genesis 17, 9 and 11. Yeah, so, so that way you guys can understand where the circumcision came from. Not the actual, again, like Trish said, not the physical part. In Genesis 17, verse 9, God is just, right now, God is talking to Abraham. And he's talking about all the things that he's promising him. So he has promised all these things to him. And now he says, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants up to you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So when we talk about circumcision, we're not really talking about um, the importance of kind of being set apart with your bodily thing. What happens to you physically in circumcision is the representation is the covenant part. That there's a covenant between you and God. So when we start talking about circumcision, especially focusing on heart, circumcision of the heart, we're talking about this covenant that we're going to change our hearts so that, that it's 20, pointed towards covenant with God, our commitment to God, our understanding that there's that promise with God and us. So that's why when we're using this word circumcision, we're going to be using different verses to talk about it. That's, that's the point of it all, right? Right. And again, so whenever you enter a covenant, we talked about how God calls us, uh, this was again last week, how God calls us to love him and love him alone, that he is the only God. He is the only one for us. And the same way that you enter a marriage covenant, there's always some sign of a covenant. There's always something that is done um, in order to affirm. So God extends this covenant towards us. He does everything. We literally do nothing. Mm. We're not worthy of it, and yet he lavishes on us. Um, but what we do is we become... So with circumcision, it's a vulnerable, painful process. Mm-hmm. And again, without getting into the graphic details of the, of the procedure, what we have to understand is the symbolism behind it. It's something that is vulnerable. It's something that is painful. Um, and it's, it's a way of saying that I am entering, I am voluntarily entering this covenant with you. And God doesn't, again, want a physical covenant with us. He wants our heart. He wants a spiritual covenant with us. And Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says this, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. And here's why. So that you may love him 
with all of your heart and with all of your soul and live. So again, we don't even have to do anything. All we have to do is offer our hearts to God and be vulnerable. And he's the one who does this, this process to our heart. And to just understand there's this unfolding, there's this layers. It's not a one-time thing. The circ- allowing God to circumcise our heart is kind of like peeling back an onion. It's time after time after time mm-hmm. that we wake up daily and we come to the Lord and we allow him to peel back because our heart, we have we have hidden parts of our heart, right? We have secret spaces that we are not even aware of. Mm -hmm. And so as we walk with the Lord, he pulls back layer by layer and he reveals our innermost desires, our innermost um, temptations, the innermost, the dark things that are in our heart. Mm -hmm. He brings light to those things and he draws those things out of us. um, And then we'll talk about what happens um, from there. Yeah. And just, just kind of go with it because it's become so personal. I always wondered why God chose circumcision it's it's a really um honestly a weird thing to ask somebody to do uh even now (laughs) i feel like but it's because it's so intimate it's just between you and god just like when we change our heart it's between us and god it's nobody else gonna he could have said hey you're gonna be my people anybody who has covenant with me you guys gonna put an x on your forehead that everybody can see and know that you're my people or a nose ring just because it's right here you know that's how people everybody else know but it wasn't for that appearance for everybody else to see it was just for you and god so that circumcision was super private super intimate it was just between uh, god and us and now he's saying his heart again there's this change happening in your heart first that's that's kind of um where it's looking at just awesome so jeremiah chapter 4 verse 4 keeps talking about about this topic jeremiah 4 4 says circumcise yourselves to the lord circumcise your heart you men of judah and people of jerusalem or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done burn with no no one to quench it so now we see there's got there now there's um, repentance. Now there, there needs to be a change made. He's saying, you need to change yourself. Come back to my covenant. Because my anger is burning. My anger is bur- burning against you right now. And you need to change. You need to come back to this covenant. You need to circumcise yourself to the Lord. You need to circumcise your heart to the Lord. It's It's just one of those things where... God, God is is bringing judgment, and it's bring He's bringing um, accountability. Thank you. See, I just, I just need, I just need you. Thank you. There it is. So, and we see this in Exodus chapter four twenty four. I really love this story. As we were, we were talking about this. I don't love this story, but it's a good story to to, to go with this point. So, this is Moses. Moses just had this experience with with God with a burning bush right Moses just talked God just talked to him and sends him out to do this amazing thing to save the people of Israel out of the slavery and everything else right so he's ready to go and verse 24 at the lodging place on the way the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him so he just chose Moses to save the people of Israel and now he's meaning him to kill him. He called him to do something amazing. And now he's killing him a day later. 
we read on. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you're a bridegroom of the blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom to a blood, referring to circumcision. There was a breaking of the covenant in Moses' family because his son wasn't circumcised. It, God was taking this so seriously. You, I have covenant with you. We're supposed to be as one. I send you out. What he should have done, that circumcision should have happened way earlier. And God shows how serious he takes this. He takes this circumcision part, this covenant, this connection with one another. Mm-hmm. Is that even though I chose you and I called you to do great things, I'm going to kill you. I'll find somebody else. So it's the same thing with us, with the circumcision of our heart. God may call you to be a pastor, a missionary, uh, whatever, just speaking the word of God. But if you don't circumcise your heart, if you don't come back to the covenant that God has called you to do, if you do not repent and come before him and get close to him intimately, he'll use somebody else. He will reject you. Like Hopefully he won't kill you. He'll just teach you a lesson maybe. Mm-hmm. you know. But you see this. The, this this really big warning in the scripture that God doesn't take this lightly. So Romans chapter 2, again, we just want you to understand that because circumcision is something that is pretty foreign to us. The, the symbolism and the meaning behind it in scripture is something that's hard for us to grasp. But I wanna, we want you to understand what God is calling us to. First of all, the fact that this isn't talked about very often, but it is a theme in scripture that God wants us to circumcise our heart. And what does that mean? What is, what is it that we are doing? And it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew. Remember here at this point, Christians were not seen as a separate religion. They were seen as a sect within Judaism. So he's saying a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So what is happening is um, circumcision of the heart means that we, first of all, as he was saying, we're repentant. The second thing is it's not a superficial repentance. It's a deep inward turning of our hearts towards God. So someone who repents and then turns around the next day and goes back to their wicked ways. Someone who repents, like Moses, has this encounter with God, and then he's kind of going through the motions of what God told him to do, but he doesn't actually take the covenant very seriously. Mm. So circumcision of the heart means that you are repentant, but also that it is a deep inward you are giving God the, the innermost parts of your heart. It's not a superficial outward thing that you're just going through the motions. It's a deep transformation at the very core of who you are. So moving on, the second thing that God wants us to, to do. So again, circumcision of the heart is often backwards looking. It's looking at the things that have brought us to this point, the sins that we need to be forgiven, the fact that we need to turn from our wicked ways. Um, The second thing that God wants us to do with our heart in order to show our love for him is to allow him to clean our hearts. The most amazing part with all of this is that God wants our whole heart, but even like we talked about last week in his love where he does all the work, even with us giving him his whole heart, he's the one doing all the work. With circumcision of the heart, it's just that we allow him to, but he's the one who does that work within us. With cleaning our heart, again, we can't necessarily clean our heart. He's the one who cleanses our heart. So the second thing he wants us to do is to, to allow him to give us a clean heart. Yeah, and we, we see that uh, actually 
uh, King David kind of cries out, cries out to the Lord in Psalm 51. Uh, and it's actually a beautiful song, too. So Psalm 51, verse 10. It says, create in me a pure or clean heart, O God, and renew a that spirit within me. And that word pure right here, it's actually the Hebrew word is tahor. And it could be pure or clean. And there's actually clean is used for that word more often. So when we, when we actually looked in the, in the Hebrew translation, they, they write it clean heart, not pure heart. Uh, again, different translations, that way we go straight. That's why we go straight to the Hebrew. Uh, but again, it's this, it's this yearning for, for God to come and clean their hearts. And I, I just want to read uh, the, le- the other two verses because it's, it's beautiful. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a statue spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit Amen. to sustain me. It's this cry out by, by King David to, for, for God to come in and clear his heart, purify it, clean it, make take away the evil desires, take away the sin, take away the the hurt and the pain also that we carry, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. It's 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 a cry out for God to give us something new because what we have right now, I'm sure at this time, David is David is just just broken right he writes the psalm after he kills his friend uriah and after he Mm -hmm. has an affair with Bathsheba. so this psalm is a time where he's repenting um, and where he's asking god to create in him a clean heart because he realizes that even though he loves the lord that he's he's capable of incredible evil Mm -hmm. so this psalm is a psalm of repentance that we see and so speaking of david david is a really good example of the fact that not only can God create a clean heart in you, um, and he does the work, but, we, but David is a great example of, of the fact that, so when you search through the, the First Testament, through the Old Testament, uh, there's people who fear God, there's people who serve God, there's people who walk in God's power, there's people who are chosen by God, but the only one that we hear of that, sets, that is completely set apart is David. So he's this incredible example of what God is looking for. And he says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, verse 14, he says, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So what made David stand out was that he was a man after the Lord's heart, meaning that he wanted to have, he wanted his heart to mirror God's heart. He wanted his heart to grieve over the things that grieved God. He wanted his heart to be burdened by the things that burdened God. He wanted to rejoice in the things that made God's heart rejoice. He wanted to bring joy to the Lord's heart. So when you truly love someone, you no longer have your own desires, but you desire what they desire. And that is what completely set David apart. Not that he was perfect. There were people in the Old Testament who, again, were more powerful than him. They were more passionate in some ways than he was. They were holier than he was. David is filled with, he murdered, he did all these horrible things, but he kept surrendering his heart to God. He kept um, asking God to forgive him and renew him. And throughout the Psalms, time and time again, he is the only one that we could think of as we search the scriptures who actually says, I love you, Lord, with all of my heart. I love you, Lord. No one else in the Old Testament 
confesses that they love God. They fear him. They obey him. They do all these things. But what set David apart was that he truly loved God in return. And that is what God is looking for. He's searching for people who would not be robots, but people who would surrender their hearts to him and would truly love him in return. You got James? Yeah, I do. Uh, James chapter four, verse eight tells us this, just kind of reiterating. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we we need to come the the way that we the same way with circumcision of the heart we repent and then God does the work for us to have a clean heart we just have to draw near to God as we draw near to God he begins to clean our heart and how do you draw near to God you come to him in prayer you come to him in worship you you read his word and as you expose yourself to his presence as you expose yourself to his word it illuminates your heart it illuminates your mind and it begins to show those painful things that you don't want anybody to know those painful dark things that you try to keep hidden even from yourself so if we want to have a clean heart the what we need to do is we need to draw near to god we need to expose ourselves to his presence um we need to seek him out and allow him to to begin that transformative work within us. Yeah, Psalm twenty four talking about drawing to, drawing to God. You see this in Psalm twenty four verses three and four. It says, "Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and clean heart, who do, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false." So you see this. Um, how can we come before God? For us to be able to come before God, truly, we need to have those clean hands and clean heart. So that's why we draw to him, just like what Trish just explained. It's just, you draw, and then because of us coming into him and letting him purify us and cleans us and everything else, then we can also come and stand in his holy place. Amen. It's, it's that relationship with us and Christ who because of his sacrifice and because of our understanding of what he has done for us, we can come to God and be clean and pure and holy. The only way, because if we come in as who we are, with our uncircumcised hearts, with our sinful nature that is in our heart, then we would not be able to stand. We would be, it's, we would be like Isaiah. He, he drops down, I, uh, woe is me, a man of unclean lips, right? Right. So looking at uh, Hebrews 10.22, Hebrews 10.22 says this, just again reiterating, the way that we get a, a clean heart is it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So as, uh, as circumcision of the heart is looking at sins that are in the past, the cleansing of our heart is something that is happening now. Mm-hmm. It's something that God is doing in the present. It's an ongoing process that we, we come to him, we draw near to him, and he begins to, to remove those things uh, that, are our, that are ongoing struggles that we have. And the way that we, we do this is not only to draw near to God, but the other way that we, we prevent ourselves from current sin, from present sin, and we give God our whole heart is by doing this exact thing in Psalm 119.11. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So as God removes, as we draw near to God, he removes those ugly things. He removes those 
dark things, those unholy things. And what we have to do is in its place, we hide his word in our heart. We begin to put the truth in our heart. We begin to put that hope and that joy and that peace. His love begins to get in our heart. And so we see the Lord, first of all, peeling back the layers of our heart. And then secondly, as we draw near to him, he begins to fill our heart and take over more domain um, where he, again, he doesn't just want a superficial relationship with us. He eventually wants us to love him with all of our heart. And that's a process that doesn't just happen in a one-time prayer. Yeah. And now uh, Jeremiah talks about it in 31, 33, when, when God says that I will make a new covenant with them and I'll give them a new heart and I'll fill them with his spirit and when I write my laws on their heart. It's, it's this changing that when, when God is looking into us, or actually, the, the other way, well, yeah, that too. But it's one of those things that as we move to the, as we're walking and we're focusing on God and then we start looking to the left, to the right of all the things, it's out of our heart, out of our heart, the word of God is going to start speaking to us and Amen. keep us accountable. I love the 119, uh, 1.19.9 right before that says, how can a young man keep his ways pure? Verse 11, I have hidden your word, my in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how can we stay pure? It's having that word in our hearts. That's why we need mm-hmm. to have it because that's what's going to keep us accountable, the Holy Spirit and the word of God because otherwise we don't know what's better because then we're just going to do what we see in the world. But when we focus on, on the word and the word is in our hearts, it purifies us and cleanses and lets us um, live the righteous life that God desires from us. Amen. So the third thing that God does is... After circumcising our heart, after cleansing our heart from the inside out, eventually what happens is that we end up, instead of having this diseased heart that's beyond hope and unable to love God, he completely gives us a new heart. Mm -hmm. So our heart is made totally new. It's completely transformed so that it's a heart that's after his heart. It's a heart that can love him and serve him with all that we are. So Ezekiel 36 uh, verse 27 Uh, It's actually verse, it's 36, verse 36. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then it says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So again, this isn't that God gives you a new heart so that you can just feel happy towards him or that you have warm fuzzies towards him. He gives you a new heart because your old heart was made of stone. It was hardened. It was rebellious. It was stiff-necked. And so he gives you a new heart that's one of flesh. That's one that has compassion. That's one who is moved by the things that move God. And it's, it's a new heart that you can give him the love that he deserves. Yeah, and it brings us, brings us back to him, how we were originally. Uh, Jeremiah 24, 7. Jeremiah 24, 7 says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their hearts. That's Amen. God's desires for us, that he's going to give this heart not only to purify us, to cleanse us, to to remind us of a covenant and to, to lead us to repentance, but it's just lead them to him. That's his desire, that, his, that our hearts would change towards him and not towards what the world has given us. And that heart, that new heart, is again so that we can then follow his commands, so that we can, mm-hmm. we can be obedient. It's not just so that we can be good people. Mm. It's so that we can actually do the things that he, he has in store for us. And again, not just keeping a list of rules and a list of regulations, 
but it's, he puts his, not only does he give us a new heart, right? But he puts his spirit in us. So that new heart allows us to hear and listen to the Holy Spirit. So the way that we're obedient to him and the way that it's, it's more than just thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. It's what is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do? And that new heart not only allows you to want those things, but empowers you to do those things. So when the Lord puts on your heart to call that friend that you haven't talked to for a few years because you had a falling out, when God puts on your heart to visit someone who you know is sick, even though you have a busy schedule, those sorts of things, when God calls you to start a Bible study or to pray over someone, whatever it is, that new heart allows you not only to just follow a list of regulations, it doesn't allow you to just feel warm, fuzzy and be a good person, it allows you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be completely obedient so that he can move through you and he can give you the life that he designed for you and that you can continue to grow in him and that heart will become more and more completely his, Mm -hmm. belonging to him. Yeah, the last thing that we want to just mention is, and this is how we we just want to close, is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This is, this is one of those verses that are used for Romans' road to salvation that many hear. A lot of times people just quote Romans chapter nine, uh, chapter 10, verse 9. They don't, ver- they don't quote the whole thing. I know I'm guilty of it. I kind of stop with that. Even when we were talking about it, I was like, I know 9 by heart. I'm not so much 10. But verse, uh, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Mm. So there's this, this amazing breakdown of physical, an outward thing and an inward thing. The confession comes an outward thing. When we confess our, our trust in God that he is Lord, it's not, he's not a prophet, he's not just a good person, he's not a historical figure, he is Lord. He, he is part of the Trinity. He is God. And then the second part, this belief, because our faith, our Christian faith stands on resurrection. If it wasn't for a resurrection, if Christ didn't resurrect, then he would just been a good somebody who died on the cross. Right. If it wasn't for his resurrection, we would not have this faith. And here we, we, we acknowledge, we believe in our heart, truly believe in our heart that God raised him from, from, from the dead. It is it's this important change because what happens when we believe in our heart that Jesus, that God raised him from, from the dead, that means we also truly believe in our heart when the time comes that God is going to raise us from the dead. Amen. That's, where the, that's the difference between uh, those who have faith in, in Christ and in God and those who do not. Because those who do not, they, they will die and experience death. We will have everlasting life. And it starts with this belief in our heart, that this change in our heart. Because normally, normally people would not believe that somebody rose from the dead. That is not a normal thing to, to acknowledge, to believe, to, to have faith in, to hold on to for your eternal life. You want to do the verse 10? Since I don't know. You, what it it. So it says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So just looking at this, you know, we said at the beginning that there's this language in the church that talks about accepting Jesus in your heart or accepting Jesus as your savior. And those are not necessarily bad things, but they're not really biblically accurate. What we're supposed to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, not even that he's our savior, but that he's the Lord of our lives. In other words, 
it's not our will, but it's his will. It's yeah. no longer that we get to do what we want, but that he is the Lord over our lives and that we will submit to his lordship. And the, the second thing that we're supposed to do is not invite him into our heart, but we're supposed to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. So it's that that opening of our heart to what God wants to do. And it mm-hmm. says, with your heart, you believe. And not only do you believe, but you're justified. Mm-hmm. So it's not this one-time event, but it's this justification and this sanctification process that begins at the moment of your confession, but it will last the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. That God will, you know, he's, he's not this violent God who just you know, overwhelms us. And thank God he does not show us everything at once, right? <laughs> In his mercy, he, he says, love me with all of your heart. But he's just the same way that he does, you know, with Peter when he reinstates Peter and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And there's this transaction that's happening because Peter can't really love God with the fullness of his heart. And he, he's only able to love God with a, you know, a frail capacity. But the longer that you walk with the Lord, um, there's, there's more parts of your heart that you're able to give him because more and more of you is being revealed and more of you uh, is coming to life. So there's this beautiful sanctification process that happens that again, is not just a one-time moment of, Oh, well, I've already accepted Jesus as my savior and I've invited him into my heart. That's, that's not what we're doing here. The, the process of loving the Lord with all of our heart is something that begins with our moment of confession, but will continue with us until the day we see him face to face. Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.